Good evening, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Meg Podcast. Um, another one where we have guests in addition to the usual team of Matt, Richard, Jeffrey Cook and myself. We have two esteemed guests on the line, um, Jamie Mayers and Philip Powell. So welcome aboard, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, now, they've been asked for a specific reason which will become very clear uh, well, about now, when I tell you, uh, because on in this edition of the podcast, we're going to be looking at the Nikephorian Byzantine lists, um, both the Nikephorian and the later Nikephorian. Um, and Jamie and Philip have recently run Nikephorian Byzantines, different different versions of it, at the Ice and Fire competition um, a couple of weeks ago. So hands-on practical experience from people who've used the lists. Um, obviously, you know, Nikephorian is one of the uh, popular army lists It's uh, and has been in other rule sets as well. Um, but I think it's fair to say it's one that people sometimes find a bit tricky getting a list they really like out of um, and then getting it to work as they'd hoped on the table. So we'll get uh, Jamie and Philip's uh, views on that, plus the there's no doubt words of wisdom or whatever passes for wisdom from the other three of us. Um, I always suspect in these cases that Richard actually says the most sensible things. Um, me and Matt are just here for comedic value. Um, Richard, of course, will be, as usual, providing us some potted history across the of the period. And in addition to the Nikephorian lists, we're going to bring you uh, a small number of enemies of the Nikephorian Byzantines as well, just to provide a rounder picture, fit in with the history, and some thoughts on how the lists match up. So that's going to be the meat of the podcast. Um, but before we dive into that, um, I just wanted to um, ask, ask the members of the team um, about the newly released rules pdf you know it's been it's been out in the wild available for purchase for a couple of weeks now so i just wondered what people's views on it were you know and uh, maybe even using it at ice and fire so i don't know matt can we start with you what do you what are your experiences so far uh, i have to say it, it, it a game changer is genuinely the way i look at it the, the search function in the pdf it's a godsend it's brilliant it's hyperlinks search perfect works off a tablet works perfectly well on my phone and um perfectly readable yeah i love it you did a cracking job on that okay what well, one is tempted to stop there for such high praise <laughs> <laughs> so um philip um have you used it have you, and how has your experience been well unfortunately <laughs> i did have it on my eye uh, my iPad, but my iPad ran out of charge while I was at Ice and Fire. So when I wanted to actually go and review it, it I was um, unfortunate. My mistake, not charging the night before. So <laughs> well, we yeah. can't blame the PDF for that. Can't blame PDF. But when I was using it at home to kind of look up and check things, you're right. I was able to kind of put in the search and find what I wanted uh, without having to leaf through pages upon pages trying to figure out which section it is in which is a godsend. I, the main build book is very well structured, but I must admit that sometimes I forget which section a rule is set is in. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Jamie? Um, I think I'm 
pretty much along the same lines as everyone else really the hyperlinks are just incredibly useful really um there's always the sort of gray area of where a rule might straddle a couple of different sections or might in your head and um, just clicking on it and being taken to it is um very useful though i'll probably still get the hard copy once um print on demand is available because i'm a bit of a luddite <laughs> okay, oh, but, well i mean it, it, you you've you pays your money <laughs> you, you you've got the option now um i, I must admit, i i i i think it i think it's really good i think um i i have i have a st slightly strange initial problem with it is that i'm so used to the rule book as it is uh, the, the the compendium edition and doing so much um calling to do so much umpiring i can find things i am I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time to adjust to where things are in the pdf but as everybody said, it's got a search function, the, <laughs> the, the, the you know, and hyperlinks. So that does make it easy. Um, so we are Richard. I mean, I presume you like your own product, but I think that's been some thumbs up along the way so far. I don't know if you've had any other feedback. It's it's very nice, guys, and I'll give you all your money later. Um, <laughs> uh, the I mean the thing that you haven't mentioned which i actually find most useful is the bookmarking um so um that all the section headings are actually bookmarked so um i find that's actually for my own purposes i find that very useful but that's probably because i know the sections far too well <laughs> but um, anyway that's that's the other feature which is I find useful anyway. Okay, I must admit it's not one I've investigated yet, but um, one to do. Great. Okay, well, that's a, that's a, that's a real thumbs up um, from this team. I hope, obviously, that other people who have purchased the PDF um, also think the same. I'd just like to remind people on that PDF that um, whilst the vast majority of what you need is in the the rules pdf there is a free pdf for if you like the background um some of the information on thing which contains information like the base sizes um so for um especially newer players please do remember to download the freebie as well because <laughs> there is useful information in there okay um enough enough of massaging richard's ego uh, <laughs> Although I oh, think more, it's... more, please. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will now give him a chance to make a fool of himself, <laughs> uh, but he never does, disappointingly, um, on the, the, the history section here. So, um, as we always say, without further ado, over to Richard for some history around the Nikephorian Byzantines. Thank you, Nick. So, um, today I'm going to cover the Byzantine Empire from 960 through to 1071. Uh, now, if I was to do that in a huge amount of detail, uh, we'd be still here next week. So um, this is going to be a fairly, I hope, um, rapid tour through Byzantine history. Um, so in 960, the Byzantine Empire controlled an area that included southern and eastern Greece, uh, most of modern Turkey, a bit of northern Syria, and bits of southern Italy. So it was um, uh, not at its greatest extent by any means. Um, 
to the south, it faced the Fatimid Caliphate. Um, then to the east, you had the uh, uh, the Arabs, the Abuids, and the Armenian uh, Kingdom. Um, to the north, you had the first Bulgarian Empire. Um, and in to the north in Italy, you had the Holy Roman Empire. Um, so there were a lot of different opponents that the Byzantines were facing, uh, which is probably true throughout most of their history, to be honest. They 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 were stuck in the middle somewhat. Um, so um, in 960, um, Nicephorus, um, who was later to become empire, emperor, uh, he was entrusted to lead an expedition to conquer the Muslim Emirate of Crete. Um, this involved a nine-month siege that captured Tan Chandax, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, and shortly after the entire island uh, fell into Byzantine hands. And this was quite crucial because this basically helped restore Byzantine control of the Aegean Sea um, and actually, actually helped stabilise the empire. Now, while this was happening, uh, the Hamdanids, um, they were a Bedouin dynasty. So if you're looking for your army list, you're looking for the Bedouin dynasty. Um, they took advantage to thinking that the main Byzantine forces were on Crete to invade Cappadocia, um, that sort of central um, uh, eastern Turkey. And um, uh, they raided Cappadocia, um, but the Byzantines got their own back, defeating um, the Emir at the Battle of Andrasos, 9th of November, 960. And that actually was quite a crucial turning point because it destroyed much of the offensive capability of the Hamdanids. Um, the Byzantines then invaded Silesia in 962 and actually sacked Aleppo, uh, which was the sort of centre of the Hamdanid um, kingdom, in December of that year. Um, meanwhile, in 962, uh, the Byzantines actually also had to repel a major Magyar invasion. So um, the Magyars were a step tribe from the north and the Byzantines believed that the Bulgarians deliberately sort of incited um, the Magyars and um, deliberately didn't block the raid and this was to trigger a decades-long decline in Byzantine and Bulgarian relations and that becomes late, important later on. Um, at the time, the emperor was pretty weak and um, various complicated events led to Nicephorus II, known as Phocas, uh, P-H-O-K-A-S, um, becoming the emperor in 963. He was to rule until 969 and during his time as emperor, the Byzantines captured Cyprus, increasing their naval control. Um, and he did a lot of reforming of the, particularly of the tax system. Um, but unfortunately, um, he also created many 
powerful enemies. Um, and this actually was led to him being killed and succeeded by John Zimikskays. Is that how it's pronounced? I really don't know. Um, T-Z-I-M-I-S-K-E-S. Um, so anyway, um, but during his time, um, the um, Byzantines also won a major naval battle at Messina um, against the Fatimids. Um, uh, sorry, no, it's the other way around. The Fatimids won a major naval pact victory, and that basically meant any Byzantine hopes to conquer Sicily uh, were foiled, and Byzantium, uh, Byzantine Empire never really controlled much of Sicily again. Um, so, um, the other major event, I think, of this period was probably in 969, when uh, the Armenian rulers, in return for getting Byzantine lands and noble titles, actually ceded their kingdom to the Byzantine Empire. Um, this seems quite a neat way of capturing territory. Um, but, um, of course, the trip then was to try and hold on to it. Um, the next emperor was John, as I mentioned, he ruled for seven years from 969 to 976. Um, this was a relatively short reign, but he did sort of strengthen the empire. Um, at the time, the Byzantines were in conflict also with the Holy Roman Emperor, Otto the Great. Um, and this was because they objected partly to his use of the title as Holy Roman Emperor believing that only the Byzantines were the true successors of ancient Rome. Um, however, in uh, 972, they came to an agreement that Otto could use this title. Um, in return, Otto married Theophanu, who was the niece of John. And this sort of um, calmed down the um, Frankish-Byzantine relations, basically. And while all this was going on, there was a uh, Kievan Rus invasion of Thrace. Um, and so the Byzantines had to drive the Rus out of uh, um, Thrace as well. So all busy times. Um, in 972, actually, John invaded the Abbasid Empire, uh, marching into Upper Mes Mesopotamia. Um, however, this uh, resulted ultimately in a Byzantine defeat at uh, the Battle of Amid in 4th of July 1973. Um, however, not one to take a defeat sitting down, he then launched a second campaign, this time attacking Syria in 975. Um, um, Syria at this time was very much under the influence of the Fatimids, and John was trying to weaken uh, Fatimid influence in, in Syria. However, he wasn't to survive long. He died in 976 and he was actually succeeded by Basil II. Um, he was to be known as the Bulgar Slayer uh, for um, fairly obvious reasons, um, but he was actually to rule until 1025. He was actually um, 
the son of Romanus II, who had been actually emperor at the time of our history starting. Uh, but he was at the time only three, so he had been um, so overlooked in, while Nicephorus and John were the emperors. But his eventual reign was actually to be the longest reign of the Roman Empire since uh, Augustus. Um, so uh, that was quite an achievement. Um, during this time, he was very much uh, uh, an administrator. He succeeded in reducing the power of the great landowning families. Uh, he did the neat trick of actually filling the treasury while expanding the empire, which um, is quite a neat thing to do, really. Not many other emperors managed to achieve that. Practically um, they, unique, I would think. Uh, yeah, they, they either spent money uh, and expanded the empire or they hoarded the money and the empire shrunk. That that That's a basic summary of, of all Byzantine history, I think. Um, although his early reign was really dominated by um, two civil wars um, against um, uh, chaps known as Bardas Scleros and Bardas Phokos, um, these were generals who basically took against him and tried to usurp power. The, these were finally ended in 988, mainly by using one uh, to defeat the other, which again showed a bit of smart thinking there. Um, his most actually um, risky time was when he was actually ambushed um by the bulgars at um uh, the gates of trajan which is in the balkans and this was probably the most serious defeat of his reign and actually barely escaped with his life um but he lived on and in 989 the byzantines were to form an alliance with the kievan rus um this was quite significant because uh, their ruler, Vladimir, actually agreed to convert his people to Christianity in return for marrying Basil's younger sister, uh, Anna. I think Anna is quite a common name in the uh, Byzantine royal family. Anyway, the, the, as a result, it led to the first Rus warriors becoming a regular part of the Byzantine army. And I suppose ultimately resulted in the creation of the Varangian Guard. Um, another neat trick Basil did was in 992, he actually reduced the custom fees um, pay, uh, payable in Constantinople to the Venetians in return for them agreeing to transport troops to Italy in times of war. Um, now, one perhaps unintended effect of this was it actually increased the wealth of the farmers because their goods suddenly became cheaper to export. Um, and spotting this, Basil actually then passed laws to protect the farmers and lower their taxes, which actually um, resulted in growth and therefore um, brought in more, more income. Um, in 994, there was a Fatimid victory against the Byzantines and their Hamdanid allies. Um, and this led to a direct intervention by Basil. Um, he, he sort of surprised the Fatimids and 
they retired in the face of these Byzantine forces. Um, a, a second invasion was launched by the Byzantines in 988, um, but this was ended by a 10 year truce um, agreed in 10,001. Uh, um, bizarrely, despite acknowledging uh, Fatimid uh, suzerainty, um, the rulers of Aleppo continue to pay tributes to the Byzantines. So um, that, that's sort of one of those really odd historical situations. So I acknowledge you rule me, but I'm going to continue to pay tribute to the other guy. Um, anyway, it, it seemed to work for them for a while. Um, meanwhile, while all this was going on in 997, the Byzantines um, defeated a Bulgar army at the Battle of Sperikios. Uh, that's S-P-E-R-C-H-E-I-O-S, uh, in case you were wondering from my pronunciation. Um, now, this was significant because it ended the Bulgar raids into the southern Balkans. Uh, and really, from, uh, from that time onwards, the Byzantines launched a series of um, campaigns and a methodical conquest of the Bulgarian cities then ensued. Um, ultimately, this led to the Battle of Clydon, uh, K-L-E-I-D-O-N, in 1014, um, which was a disastrous defeat for the Bulgarians. And by 1018, uh, the Bulgarians submitted to Basil's rule. Um, very cleverly, he actually moved most of the Bulgarian aristocracy um, and gave them land in, in Asia Minor, um, thus leaving the remaining Bulgarian um, Bulgarians rather leaderless um, and therefore more accepting of Byzantine rule. Um, in 1015, there was a revolt um, uh, against the um, succession in Georgia, and this led to the Georgians entering into an alliance with the Fatimid Empire. Um, this wasn't really ex acceptable to Basil. In 1021, he actually launched an attack against the Georgians and their allies within Armenia. Um, in, However, in 1022, the Armenians themselves came under pressure from the Seljuk Turks. And this is important because this is the first time the Seljuk Turks interfere in politics in this area. Um, and so the Armenians actually surrendered to the Byzantines. Um, and because of this, the Georgians actually sued for peace. So, um, at the time of his death in 1025, Basil was actually planning an invasion to recapture Sicily. So as you can see, it was quite an eventful um, career that he had. Busy um, sorry, Nick? A busy man. Uh, indeed, uh, busy times, I think it's probably <laughs> fair to say. Um, now, during his reign as um, emperor, um, uh, Basil had nominally got a co-emperor, which was uh, Constantine VIII, 
which I think was his younger brother. Um, now, uh, Constantine therefore became emperor at the death of, the, of Basil in 1025. Um, but his uh, reign was a bit of disaster. Um, and in the next three years, there was a significant collapse in sort of military power. Um, and this wasn't actually improved when he was succeeded by Romanus III in 1028. Um, he was another ineffective emperor and, and uh, ended up dying, possibly being murdered in 1034. Now, during this time, um, Romanus III led an army against the Merdasids, who were now the Arab dynasty in charge of Aleppo. Uh, and got completely defeated and suffered a terrible rout. Uh, apparently from this, the army sort of became a laughing stock. Um, and um, in 1034, um, Romanus III was actually succeeded by Michael IV. Now he actually only, uh, he was actually brother of John, who was actually a eunuch, um, who was uh, one of the emperor's administrators. And he was um, apparently, uh, the empress Zoe fell in love with him. And this is how he actually uh, became emperor. Um, now, during this time, he uh, the empire agreed a 10-year truce with the Fatimids. Uh, which which very much put the Fatimids on an upper hand in the whole Syrian arena. Um, now, rather optimistically, the uh, Byzantines were still trying to increase their control in uh, southern Italy. And in 1038, they actually invaded Sicily. Um, whilst this invasion was initially quite successful, um, the Byzantines actually fell out with their Lombard allies and the Norman mercenaries abandoned the general and, and who was recalled on suspicion of conspiracy um, and the whole invasion of Sicily fell apart. Now, this is notable because this was the start of the increase of Norman power in Italy and Sicily. Um, which was ultimately to lead um, to Norman control of the entire southern part of the Italian peninsula. Um, now, in 1041, um, there was a revolt by the Bulgarians, uh, but the Byzantines defeated that at Ostrovo. And then from 1042, uh, there was a new emperor, Constantine the Ninth. Um, he apparently ruled with the Empress Zoe until 1050, and then married the Empress's niece, I think it is, Theoderia. Um, and um, she remained married to, to Constantine until 1055. So this whole period, the, the emperor's power was actually largely based on their marital ties, um, which was not particularly um, a great way of controlling the empire. Um, 
However, the empire's borders actually did remain largely intact. Um, although in 1046, the Byzantines actually um, directly faced the Seljuk Turks um, for the first time. Um, now, in 1053, because of tax problems, um, the Iberian army, uh, which was the army defending the east, um, Iberia at this time refer refers to the kingdom that would be sort of um, the northern part of modern Georgia in the Caucasus. Um, and unfortunately, the, the this sort of did significant harm to the empire's eastern defences. Um, and more discontent was um, sort of spreading throughout the whole empire, um, not helped really by 1054, which is the great schism that takes place between the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic churches. Um, and the emperors had not been able to control all the disputes between the churches. So we, in 1055, um, Constantine dies, and this signifies the end of the Macedonian dynasty um, that existed. Um, and uh, the uh, Michael VI is then crowned as emperor. Um, and in fact, between this period of 1059 and 1081, uh, there are actually six emperors who are the emperors of the Dukid dynasty. Um, and this really, uh, under this rule of the Dukids, uh, the Byzantines are fighting a losing battle against the Seljuk Turks. Um, the Normans take over much of Italy. The Hungarians um, uh, occupy Belgrade and the defeat at Manzikert in 1071 and the subsequent civil war is really the sort of final straw that weakens the empire. Um, and um, that really signifies the end of our Nicophorian uh, Byzantine period. And it takes the emperors of the Comanid dynasty to uh, re-establish uh, Byzantine power. So I hope I haven't confused everybody. There'll be a complete test <laughs> later on. Um, but uh, that uh, is, if you can get your head around it, um, a summary of the history of the Byzantines at this period. Blimey. <laughs> That's so just just over a century, and they seem to have got about three centuries worth of action into it. Yes, um, I think this is why I find the uh, the Byzantines so fascinating, because there is so much turmoil, but they are still an empire to be seen and fought against. Yeah, never a dull never a dull decade. <laughs> yeah, and I mean the, the it undoubtedly the. Byzantines were masters of diplomacy, always trying um, sneaky tricks and playing off uh, their opponents against each other, which uh, um, also provides plenty of opportunity for interesting 
campaigns if you're uh, motivated to try and run different campaigns. Sure it is. Uh, representing the politics could be uh, challenging at times. And <laughs> this, I, I don't know about anybody else who, you know, obviously, Richard, you've looked into this history, Philip, obviously there. Um, especially this period, it, it's one of those periods where there seems to be a limited number of names amongst the key players. There are numerous Nicophoruses and so on and so forth, and you, Michaels, and you start going, which one is it? Who are you? Yes, it, it, it certainly, well, it's not only that, but also their opponents, the, um, the Arab dynasties keep changing name, which I find very confusing as well. <laughs> okay, anyway, that's that's been a, a, a great, great run through as, as ever, Richard. Thank you very much for that. I'm sure that was a, a fair amount of research went into, and a fair amount of effort compressing the history into into a manageable chunk <laughs> you know so certainly some of the, some of the histories of byzantium you can get our big thick books <laughs> yeah so. uh, there's definitely a lot to cover and i'm sure i've got a little bit of that wrong somewhere but i'll leave others to pick that to pieces well love anyway right so let's the history behind us um, or in front of us um Let's go on to some army lists. Um, now, always a bit that uh, podcast listeners like, I believe. Um, I hope so, because we do it regularly enough. Um, we shall start with a Nikephorian Byzantine army. Um, start with Jamie, one of our guests, um, who, as I mentioned earlier on, has this is an army. This is the army you ran at Ice and Fire, isn't it, um, Jamie? Um, yeah, it is. Um, I suppose it's supposed to be um, Basil II, so it's sort of um, key, or one of the sort of key Nikephorian era lists. Um, it's sort of based off a list by uh, that I think Lee, Lee Sanders ran at uh, Babcon, um, but I tweaked it slightly um, just because Lee's a significantly better player and um, I was expecting lots of horse archers, as I thought to ice and fire is every everything that's not European. So, and then okay, possibly you, everyone decided to not do that. But still, yeah. Okay, you just want to run run us through what's in the list, and then uh, yep, I'm sure everybody will have a view. <laughs> um, so, in terms of um, command, it's a competent professional um, army commander. Uh, two uh, competent professional sub-commanders and one mediocre professional. Um, a poor fortified camp, just because I thought uh, I'd be facing lots of lots of sort of very fast um, cavalry armies who might uh, sort of flank me and then try and get my camp or do something sneaky like that. Um, in the actual um, events, they ended up just breaking the army rather than going for the camp. But there we are. <laughs> Didn't take camp, so I suppose it worked. Um, in terms of units, um, oh, sorry, uh, that gives me a BBS of seven and scouting of three, which is not terrible, but maybe not amazing. Um, in terms of units, uh, first up is Tagmata or Tagmata, um, who are the elite uh, charging Lancer cavalry. Um, so they are. Uh, drilled loose, superior protected, charge only bow, charging lancers. I took them with as 
Millie expert, which made them very expensive, um, but you probably have to. And I had them in a four, um, which is possibly a mistake, but them's the points. Uh, next up, thematic cavalry. Um, they are very much the same as the Tagmata, but they're average, um, average protected rather than superior. Um, I didn't have them as melee expert as you can't, and they're also a four. Um, next up, Cataphractoi, uh, everyone's favorite Byzantine unit, or I'd hope anyway. <laughs> there probably other are other options, but they're all wrong. Um, basically, these are the famous troop type from Nicephorus Focus. Focuses time. Well, I suppose they keep getting reused in Byzantine history, but anyway, they're uh, cavalry, drill close, uh, superior, armor tools, fully armored, uh, charge only bow, uh, short spear. Um, they're dev chargers and they're melee experts. I put them as a six as I thought they'd probably be getting stuck in and I needed them to be, um, well, junky and withstand some battering. Um, makes them incredibly expensive, but then they are the elite troops. Um, after that, uh, second-rate thematic cavalry. Um, very similar to the thematic cavalry, but they don't get charge-only bow. Um, so otherwise, they're basically just form loose, average protected charging lances. The four of them, um, my idea was possibly to use them to try and flank or find some chinks and create some misery for the enemy. But um, that was uh, somewhat of a mixed bag. Um, next up after that, I've got um, uh, three units of the regrade scooter toy. Um, so basically, the front ranks are um, spearmen essentially, and the rear ranks are um, bowmen. Um, but so to go through the front ranks, that's drilled flexible, um, average protected, experienced bow. Um, they don't have a melee weapon as such, but they have um, a list special rule called spear protection, which is basically you're cancelling the charge claims of any enemy cavalry just double checking their facial expressions just to make sure i haven't got that horribly yeah, wrong no, that, that, that's correct that's, correct. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> that's the spear protection characteristic yeah um they also uh, the regrade scooter toy also have uh, a useful uh, list specific rule called shield cover and shoot which is basically what it says on the Characteristic, you can use your shield cover and you can also shoot without any um, downgrade of your um, shooting. And as both the front ranks and the rear ranks are experienced bow, then you'll be usually shooting on white, depends really. But um, I also added, uh, spent the extra points to give them all shield wall, um, which just in my head would probably make them a bit chunkier. Um, I'm not sure if it actually helped them in, in the event, but that was the idea. Um, uh, so that's three units of those scooter toy. Um, I took the Varangians, because um, again, you probably have to. Um, those were downgraded in the list, they're superior. I took them as um, basically their dual close infantry. Um, downgraded from superior in the list to just average protected. Uh, they get short spear, melee expert, shove and shield wall. I uh, took an eight of those. Um, so it, it was a bit of a trade-off, but I downgrading from superior made me able to get a, an eight of them which i just seemed a bit chunkier really a bit better to fight things out um you can also get the ross um ros which is a very similar uh troop type to the varangians um sort of same stock of people but you can have them as a separate unit 
um, in the Nicaraguan list. So they are field close infantry, average protected, short spear, um, melee expert, shove and shield wall, and a six of those. Um, and in terms of light troops, I've got a uh, unit of skirmishing javelin men, uh, uh, poor and protected, experienced javelin, combat shy, obviously, so, uh, uh, six of them. Uh, slingers, uh, poor and protected, experienced sling, combat shy, nine of those. And some horse archers, uh, average and protected, experienced bow, combat shy, Cantabrian, um, uh, six of those. Um, with the idea that possibly the skirmishing javelin men and the slingers can either go in front of the charging lancers and just provide them a bit more robustness in the face of any shooting they might be catching or go in front of the the rosin varangians as they don't have they just seem like they're a bit of a, a draw for missile fire as they um they don't get shield cover so they might get shot away um so uh, that was the idea really um I, I think everyone was in terms of command structure it wasn't going to be a floating um army commander i think basil basil himself was going to be commanding a block sort of left flank right flank and then sort of the uh, mediocre trying to sort of provide some backup where he could um Sometimes I'd give him the cataphract toy um, just because, yeah, well, you can concentrate command cards on the cataphract toy, and then you can also chuck the general into the combat. And if he gets killed, well, it's only his unit that's possibly going to think about running away. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so thank you very much. Um, yeah, so, so. I suppose you know your big hitting unit there's the cataphractoids you've just been mentioning isn't it yeah, yeah. I, I suppose one question is how did that work out at the competition <laughs> did they uh yeah um go after the other night easier targets um i'm not getting any worse at using the list but i'm not sure that's um great play praise i, I couldn't I think I was about on average with how Ice and Fire went for me with Nicaraguans last time. Um, I think. Uh, what did yeah, you the fight? Generally, generally quite scary, and quite good. Um, when they actually got into combat, I think it's always make the most of your points, and if you have a big expensive fighter unit, just 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 be aggressive and chuck them in. I mean, sometimes you can use them as sort of, you know. Um, the thing that's lurking in the background and scaring your opponent, but um, you're probably not getting any points worth if they're not getting killed, at least killing some stuff. Um, the shooting was quite um, quite good against elephants, which I um, I think I just got lucky against. Um, but um, yeah, it was very good against uh, Dave Gollop's uh, Indians of some kind. Yeah, um, Dave Parry. Oh yes, Dave Gollop. Sorry, yes, he. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the the rule is the more expensive the unit, the more likely they are to die to bowfire. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. is, it, is, it, is that your personal experience, Matt? Oh yes, yeah. both sides of that dice throwing yeah. as well. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what 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 was your view on this list? Um, I actually quite like it. Um, um, I, I I struggle with Byzantine lists because I, I my instinct is always to go cavalry. 
and ignore the infantry, which I, I, I kind of think is a mistake. But no, I quite like that one. I'm wondering if the Tagmata could actually be downgraded to average and get you a block of six. I don't know if the points work for that, but I think I'd be more comfortable with that as a support unit for the Cataphractoid. But yeah, the, the two thematic units are reserves or hole pluggers, or as, as Jamie said, they're a flank attack. I like the Varangians and the Ross. I do like those two units, even with them being average for the Varangians. Okay. No, no, they, they 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 offer a real nice, not a rapid punch, but they're going to hit something and they're going to stand there. And the drill close is just lovely because it's now you see me, now I'm going that way. <laughs> you know, all for green cards. I'm going to I'm going to turn right and march off behind the uh, Scutatoi or whatever. But yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, I'm quite taken with that. I might might might. Revise my thoughts on Nikephorian lists. It's it strikes me as quite a difficult army to use because um, I'm not quite sure. Is it a cavalry army with mobile infantry? Um, I think you've got to combine all the bits together quite well. Um, it just strikes me as I, I think I'd find it quite hard to use. I think with the scouting, you could find yourself being out scouted or in terrain that's not going to be favourable for your infantry. Though you are drilled flexible, but the drill close and the cavalry, they're going to get um, a bit waylaid, whereas your opponent tries to manoeuvre you around the scenery. That that actually wouldn't be my major worry. Um, uh, my, my, I think my worry is, is still... You've got you've got a lot of drilled foot there. You've got to make use of their manoeuvrability um, because you're going to get out punched if you just line them up and go straight forward. And you've got to then work it with the cavalry around it as well. So, um, um, competent general commanding them, you're going to get enough cards without the floating general. That's a risk, isn't it? Yeah, you've only got eleven cards, so again, that's that's the um, challenge. There is are eleven cards enough to actually get you the manoeuvrability to get you where you can outmaneuver your opponent as well. But um, yeah, I mean, you you could you could bump the mediocre up to a competent by losing losing some of the skirmishes fairly easily um it's yeah it, it, it is you know it's it's i mean as, as jamie said you know he took he based this off a, an army of lee sanders's and lee's a very good player um in fact i played him at bad con um and came off second best to his nicophorian byzantine last year and yeah he, he got the timing right he got the i think that's one of the keys as well isn't it? it's when to because you've got one big punchy unit and a couple of units that are a bit more snipey and have to go in at the right point. So getting that coordination could be tricky. Um, before we move to the next one, just as a, as a, a last question for you, Jamie, do you, do you think it was a, a reasonable choice in retrospect to take to Ice and Fire, given the theme? Or And, and equally, would you use it in a different theme, say a more European theme of that of the period. 
Um, I think it was a reasonable theme, uh, theme in terms of ice and fire was anything that isn't European and what, the, what we were hearing from the history segment was lots of sort of the history of the area wasn't particularly European. Um, and I thought my thinking was I might uh, go up against lots of shooty cavalry work that might suffer against the um, scooter toy. They can shoot and also cover themselves. Um, but yeah, I think uh, mm, European, it depends on the era, I suppose, because the sort of the harder charging, fully armoured late crusader stuff is probably going to make them suffer. Yeah, I think that they're possibly a bit, you know, they they were developed for a particular <laughs> time and place, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. I, oh, there's this one point I'd just like to make for, for the listeners as well. Um, we'll mention it on the, the blog when we put these lists up, though, is that the Ice and Fire competition was still running using 2022 lists and points. And Jamie's list has got quite a lot of troops who've got shield wall in them, which will now be a little bit more expensive. So you put you it would need tweaking for 2023. But we asked Jamie to bring his his ice and fire list along, which he has done. So that, yes. And whilst we're on that, we'll now move on to Philip's list. Um, Philip took a later Nicophorian Byzantine. So this is towards the end of the period Richard gave us the history for. And he went for a somewhat different approach. Over to you, Philip, to uh yeah. Give us your army and um, the thinking behind it and um, some idea of how it worked in practice. Certainly. So I've used this later Nicophorian Byzantines, I think, probably three times now in different competitions. And it's it's done well. One one time it got quite high up the list, then I got absolutely trashed and I've come behind around mediating in the middle. So... It's got a, a checkered history, and it has very much changed over those three iterations. I think I've, a lot of people know me for being a cavalry army player. I'm, I've taken so many different ones that have just been fully on cavalry. I think um, some, my latest summations is a great example. I go full cavalry. I just have a bit of affinity for it. And so with the Nicophorians, I've gone off really the same way to try and see as the list allows you and enables you to take cavalry. It might not be completely um, historically correct, as in how an army would gone to battlefield, but I kind of feel like it's the, the runaway force that's gone chasing after the enemy, um, leaving the infantry behind at the camp and saying, ah, right, we're scavenging and foraging. Oh, there's an enemy. Let's have them. <laughs> A rationale we can all live with, I'm sure. <laughs> so, the, so, uh, I say, starting with the the actual units, and then we'll come backwards, doing it slightly different from everyone else. So I've gone very far. It is, as I say, all cavalry. It starts with two Tagmata cavalry. Uh, so they're the drilled loose, superior protected, charge any bow lance, charging lances, melee expert, the whole hog. Let's have units of six of those. They are my my main hitting force. Uh, well also supported by the Normans, uh, which I've got two units of Normans, one of which is superior, um, charging lances, devastating charges, melee experts, and the other one being average. So those kind of four units normally hang around with each other, if possible. It's kind of a mix of drilled loose and formed loose, so that does hurt you with your movement or your maneuvering. 
but they are my hammer of the army. They're the ones that go chase, charging off and try and hit the enemy units as soon as they can. And being in units of six, having charging lancer, all good. Melee expert from close combat, and three of them being superior. So hopefully you'll have the pips up on the dice to actually do some real damage. And if necessary, pull back and charge in again. And that's normally got the, the legendary sitting there, professional general. So they've got all the cards. So hopefully he's got the cards to get in there and cards to pull out and throw them back in again. The other three units uh, are mainly there because you have to have them because there's the minimums you need to have. The thematic cavalry, again, the, the average protected charging only bow and charging lancers. So one unit of those of six. Uh, this time around, compared to previous tournaments, I've taken just the one second grade thematic where they've only got the charging lancer, no charge only bow. Normally, I, in the past list, I've taken them as units, a couple of units of four. And this time I dropped it and said, I'll just take a unit of six. Don't try and have too many small units. I always find them fragile. It's always led to me having difficulty staying alive as everyone goes after the small units and ignores my big units. So I thought, well, let's make it a six of them so that they've got some chance of stand, staying around a bit longer. The final unit, the Cataphratoi, got to have them. Um, unfortunately, I've started to run out of points by now. So you've still got the superior horse, armoured horse for the armoured, charge only bow, short spear, devastating charge, melee expert. The whole caboodle, but only four of them, because I can't afford to have six of them. Same kind of thinking about in my next time I take it out to fight to actually bump it up to six, because um, they do get picked on. Uh, being only four, after a few hitting hits that have caused damage and suddenly break, it's another unit lost. But that's the other reason why it's all cavalry, so I don't have to have a camp. So no camp option. Um, if I have to have a camp and I'm defending, I don't really want to be. <laughs> it actually turned out at the weekend that even when I lost the dice roll, my opponent always was the defender. So I always went in as the attacker and had a no camp. So no, not ever giving away that poor camp that someone can go chase after and try and break me my army much quicker. So still it ends up at a break point of four. So it is tenuous, and I must admit, on two of two of my games, I won with only one unit spare. You know, they got six points out of me with three tugs destroyed. So they were trying to hunt down the last one, but couldn't do it. And then another game against the Mongols. It was a fight off to see who could break their unit, the next unit first. So unfortunately, I I lost out on that one. So being four tugs, it to break. You really do have to think hard about when you go in, when you fit, you pull back, and when do you do the, the healing of units. There's only so many cards, but you need to make sure you're still not broken. The lead in the army, unfortunately, with the points that's been spent on all those lovely cavalry, I um, have a chance of going with legendaries. So the legendary professional leading the army. Uh, followed up with a talented professional sub-general. And that's it. Just two generals. 
Not sure that's something anyone else ever does. But I, I thought, well, I can't afford any more generals unless I want to downgrade some of those units. And I really didn't want to... I thought with uh, nine cards across seven units, let's see how, how the cards play. Can I control them? Can I have enough to manage them? And that gave me a PBS of nine, which I want to have, so I can roll that red dice, have the right cards, make sure I get the correct scenery, and then get it as open as possible. And scouting a four, that's yeah, fair. You know, it means that I've got a chance of getting some cards to make to try and out out scout. As it was, turned out uh, three out of four games I got out scouted. So, <laughs> yeah, but only by twenty percent. So, it kind of limited how much I had to put down on the table. So I could keep my plan a little secret until I've seen somewhere where their armies have appeared. But yeah, I don't think it's an army that most people would want to go with. Um, myself, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had two triumphs, a near win against the Mongols, and a, a miserable defeat against the Ming. Uh, not the Ming, the Quinn. Um, and that's the game where the cards did not appear for the two generals. They managed to get blacks and whites and a couple of colored cards. And I was not really going anywhere. And I was just I think um, Pete Entwistle realized I didn't have the cards, so he charged forwards with all of his big block units of polearm and crossbows to try and cut down the battlefield so I couldn't escape. And, yeah, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> enough said. So, but but it, it sounds like in three of, out of your four games, your nine cards was enough. It was, yes. It definitely was. On the first two games, I had uh, I had cards to spare. I was at the end of the round thinking, well, I haven't spent this card. I don't need to heal anything. Right, I'm going to keep hold of that red and that yellow yeah, for next turn. Great stuff. Okay, well, yeah, this definitely an unusual army choice in, in terms of structure, which I suppose means we have to ask our resident insane army uh, <laughs> composer, Matt, um, who I suspect is just nodding and smiling and going, that's good. That's really good. Uh, I, I, I've already copied it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm unabashedly a fan. Sorry, sorry, Philip. I mean, you, you, yeah. you've won me over with that one, mate. It's brilliant. Absolutely love it. Um, uh -huh. The legendary and the talented general is just genius. I just, well, genius from my point of view, I guess, is probably the better way to look at it. No, um, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's got all the ingredients for me. No camp or fortified if you do it the other way. Um, no more than seven units because you know anything more than seven units, and I forget what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, that's another good thing for it. Yes, I didn't have to think too much about oh, do I need cards for over there? I've got oh, I've just got these stuff in front of me. Right. And, and everything you put on the table, the enemy looks at and goes, "Do you know what? All of that is hard to kill." Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. No, I love it. Yeah, there's nothing more I can say on that. It's genius. I must admit, I had a couple of opponents go, I thought this was a non-European game. Why have you got knights in your army? Well, I'm going, well, they're not knights. They're not all fully armoured. Knights on tour. Yeah, well, knights knights were allowed in some in some armies. It, it was, it's not 
a night free environment ice and fire but the idea is to have a, it's more eastern <laughs> onwards so yeah okay so so th this this gets the big thumbs up from matt you know which um Probably comes as no surprise to anybody. Richard, who I, I I think of as more Mr. Sensible, but I do does have an eye for the unusual, um, and and I, I always like his army compositions. They're always, I think, more 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 elaborate, but elaborate, more more innovative than mine, if not if not into the um, the Matt Haywood category. So, Richard, your views on this one? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm quite intrigued um the the legendary and talented um you you went for you said because of points or because you could um, for nine cards you could have had two three competence and got yeah. nine cards for a lot less points so could have done but i have a, i do like throwing my legendary into close combat and um, maybe not always a good idea, but that plus two just seems to help in the right situations. Yes, one would hope so, certainly. Um, and I suppose it does up your PBS. Yes. And possibly your scouting. So um, rolling a red dice for taking the intercept, which I managed twice. Yeah, yeah, that that invading is probably quite critical for that list, isn't yeah. it? You, you you're, control you're, the terrain, and you, and you're linking it with the no camp option. So, yeah. you sort of it's sort of gone all in evasion, isn't it? Yeah, well, when we come to my soldier army later, we'll have to compare the two. <laughs> yeah, the cavalry off. <laughs> That's giving the game away, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's possible to do a Seljuk army that's an infantry army. Even you can't manage that, Richard. Uh, maybe I should have tried then. <laughs> anyway, so it's the, the one thing I say at the general. You, instead of the talented subby, you could have had two mediocre. Gives you the same cards. Gives you an extra card upgrade option, and probably and probably frees you up a, f a few points but probably not enough to do much with the troops you've got there. No, I did consider it. Yes, I'm, I am looking to take this army to the toil um, later this year. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do that's going to be slightly different with it. Uh, that's going to be a very much more um, Europe-based tournament. So... It's got, oh, okay. yeah. it's got eastern steps so there yeah, it, it, but it, it, will, it will bring in the um the, the more chargy cavalry from western europe won't it yeah i i, yeah, I would say you if would... you're gonna sorry i was just gonna say philip if you're gonna redesign the list if you can get second grade thematic combat shy in there i think that's still valid for the nicophorian list isn't it combat shy second grade oh it's second grade. That 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 would just be the perfect list. It would be just this really rubbish unit that you know is going to hit somebody in the flank at some point and just ruin their day. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. combat shy, but I'm just going to ride you up. Yeah, the, the the second grade can be combat shy at a discount of twenty eight points a base. So, you know, yeah, that that might buy you a few extras and um, drop that unit yeah. down to four maybe as genuinely a reserve. 
You only, you only save 50 points if you have a too mediocre over a talented okay. professional sub-general, so not a huge saving there. Yeah, but you, it, the list's already got 80-odd points unspent anyway, so if you start racking it up. You, you mentioned the cataphractoy in fours were a bit vulnerable. The way it usually works with the points, if you drop them to average, you could probably have six for about the same points. I was thinking that, yeah. So I think giving them, making them average won't make them that, any less effective because you've know, still got short spear and devastating charger. Yeah. Or in close combat. Yeah. So. Especially as you're saying that the way you use this army, your actual hitting ones are your two Tagmata and your Normans. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, because there's three superiors in there. So almost slightly oddly for this army, your cataphractoi aren't your main punch unit yeah they're too From slow what you were saying keep up with the rest of the army yeah so or you can yeah. lay the rest of your army down to keep them in the front line yeah i can see but they can be really chunky i suppose flank guard i suppose with an mm-hmm. army this small keeping the enemy off the flanks is really important <laughs> that's what they did in two games they sat there and said oh you're gonna charge me yeah so a six would be even probably more intimidating because I'm willing to bet half your opponents would forget their average and assume they're superior. <laughs> I won't remind them. Oh, you only have to declare it. I mean, obviously, if they asked you partway through the game, you would be be a gentleman and tell them. But and you only have to, you know, Sorry, Vat. And snigger at the same time. <laughs> no, no, they're averaged. Didn't you yes, exa- exactly. You know, it's. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, you declare it when they go down. It's you know, if I was playing it, it'd be up to me to remember that. So, all good fun. Jamie, we, we haven't. I wasn't. I wasn't ignoring you because I was going to roll this into because J- Jamie is providing us with an alternative later Nikephorian to compare and contrast with this, um, based more off your ice and fire, like the one you've already covered. So mm. I'll, I'll let you um, roll any comments you've got about um, Philip's army into your into your bit on your later Nikephorian. Um, absolutely fine. Um, I... Looking at Phil's list makes me anxious even looking at it, but uh, we're very different players and he's a brave man than me. So uh, <laughs> so not one you'd go for. <laughs> um, I can see I've played Phil with a similar makeup to that before. And he's, um, I think it's knowing, it's having practice with the army, I think is really important. Um for any makeup of Nikephorian army, I think this has been said before, but you need to know how fast your troops can go, where they can get to, what moves you can do, um, where you're going to be hitting with those. All of the units are really quite fragile um, if they get caught out or something, and then you've sort of buggered your plan. So, um, yeah. Um, but uh, I think I've, I've fought Phil, and he, he I think. Rickon, I think you were your. Yeah, the Macedonians, lots of places. Uh, Sassanids. And I was a, Sassanids of yeah. And um, I was very cheeky, and actually I was retreating my cavalry in the face of your army until I've drawn you so far out that you, um, your flanks got charged. 
Yeah, and you were very, um, very efficiently using the cataract as a sort of very scary um, withdrawn flank, which was uh, a, a good strategy. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, it looks a good army. I just, I, I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't want it used against me either. So I'm sort of stuck there. But I <laughs> um, okay, so the, the sort of late Nikephorian you would use then, Jamie? So the one I've gone for is sort of again the route of the sort of combined armed route. So some some shooty scooter toy and some cavalry. And again, it's just having enough experience and practice with the um, the army to actually make it all work together. Um, just to make that, well, yeah, this is supposed to be, in terms of theme, I suppose it's 1071. So it's the army that uh, fell apart and ran away at Manzikert. So if it does all look horrible <laughs> as a list, I can at least say, well, it was supposed to do that because this is historical. Um, but in terms of command structure, it's very, it's basically the same as my previous um, early or just Nikephorian list. So it's a competent professional army commander, uh, two competent professional sub commanders, one mediocre professional um, sub commander along that. Alongside that, a poor fortified camp, because again, I'm worried about um, shooty horse archers um, or just fleet, um, fleet of foot um, cavalry, sort of sweeping around and taking the camp. Um, so that gives me a PBS of seven, scouting a three, nothing amazing, not terrible. Um, again, it's not, there's alternate versions of that where maybe I've gone for a, um, a talented professional um, army commander, but it, it's the problem with Byzantines is they're all drilled, drilled, um, drilled fancy units um, and you, you know, professional generals, so you've got to um, prioritize the points. Um, in terms of the actual units, um, so starting with the Tachmata, um, so they're cavalry drilled loose, superior protected, charge only bow, charging lancer. Unfortunately, points are so tight I couldn't make them melee expert, which I was very sad about, but that's a six of them. Um, the Tachmata are one of the, uh, you have to take them as Byzantines, you have a minimum, I think it's four bases in the, the army list, so that could be wrong on that. Um, second unit is the Thimata, again one of the, um, you have to take the Thimata as well, so they're cavalry form loose, average protected, charge only bow, charging lancer, um, no other uh, characteristics to them, took them as the six as well. Thimata second grade, I think you have to take these in the late Nikephorian list potentially. Yes um, you do. Yeah, yeah you do. Um, so it's a four of these, uh, they're form loose, average protected. You don't get charge only bow with these and they're charging lances. Um, Norman mercenaries, uh, it's fourth tug. So they're form loose, average protected, charging lancer, devastating charges, which is fairly nasty, took them as a six. So they'd be a fighter unit um, alongside the Thimata and the Tagmata. Um, then after that, I've taken four units of the regrade scooter toy. Um, so these are the ones that can shoot as well as um, having spear protection. Again, in, in I suppose in my mind and how I'm theming this army is it's the army that fought at Manzikert, so it's to be anti-horse archer if it can be. So the spear protection gives you, probably deters any cavalry from trying to get involved, probably in a sort of head-on charge, um, and shield cover and shoot makes them fairly nasty against um, 
cool searches as you're also going to be outranging them as uh, foot arches um, so that's four units of them um, and then obviously the Varangian Guard because you have to um, it just seems rude not to otherwise um, in the list they are super, uh, they're exceptional in the list um, but that's that was just not working points wise so I've downgraded them to superior they're drilled close uh, superior protected uh, they're long spear in this list which is interesting um, they get shield cover, shove. I've made them dismountable. Um, in my head, that was possibly because I'd take, they have to be with the army commander, uh, led by the army commander. And that's the rule because basically they have that essentially your army commander is probably the emperor at this point and they are the emperor's guard. Um, my idea was I'd use them almost as motorized infantry. So they'd, they'd be with the um, attacking cavalry punch. And maybe it would be quite unpleasant if they were going head on against enemy cavalry because they'd be superior long spears versus cavalry. Um, and even if you forget to dismount in time, then you're still only giving your enemy one claim because you're dismountable infantry fighting mounted, which is awkward for them, but not maybe a de uh, deal breaker. Um, it seemed like a good idea in my head. I've not played, um, taken this in anger, so it might. Uh, actually go horribly wrong in practice, which it usually does. Um, after the Varangian Guard, I've also got the Varangians in Ross. Um, so, uh, sorry, that's a six of the Varangian Guard. Um, the Varangians in Ross, pretty much the same as the Varangian Guard. So they're drill close, average protected, short spear. Um, they get shield wall, shove, and they're given the melee expert. That's uh, six of them. Um, so because they're shield wall rather than the shield cover of the Varangian Guard, they might be a bit more susceptible to uh, enemy missile fire. Um, but the idea is the Varangian Guard and the Varangian's Ross can basically go in between the units of Scooter Toy. So they just make them, they reinforce them and they just make them a bit less of a target because the Scooter Toy wants pretty much anything that's fighty gets into them. They don't really have any factors, apart from obviously spear protection cancels um, some factors of enemy cavalry when they're charging in. Uh, they tend to die horribly. Um, after that, there's some horse archers who are tethered horse archers, uh, form flexible, average unprotected, experienced bow. Now the planes are just a four of those. Possibly in my head, um, these horse archers and the four of Thimata second grade could possibly sit with the mediocre professional as either a reserve line or possibly some sort of reserve flank. Um, possibly. That's the idea. Um, then the final unit is just a sug of foot archers. Um, they're poor, unprotected, experienced bow, combat shy, uh, six of those. Probably they'd sit in front of the Varangians Ross because they're a bit more vulnerable to shooting um, and at least they give something that can shoot back at horse archers as they come in and maybe try and have a go at the um, susceptible units. Um, yes, so uh, think after Mandicurt, if you think it's terrible then that's just historical. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well thank you for that. Um, oh, Richard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts um yeah i, I mean i i i see a theme in J jamie's armies um i i have to say i prefer i think the later nikaforian to the N nikaforian 
um, in terms of how I use armies, I can see that one being slightly easier to use from my, from my style of play anyway. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's it's I, I just see it as perhaps a more forgiving version of the earlier Nicophorian army, I suppose. This would be my thought, but um, maybe that's not how it plays. I'm not I'm not a great expert of using these um, this period Byzantine armies. So. No problem, Matt. Sorry, I wasn't sure if my mic was on then, so stunned <laughs> silence. Rabbit in the headlight, as it were. But uh, no, I, I, I again, it, it, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, not not from any negative because I, I'm desperate to see that Varangian guard dismantable work with the cavalry. I think that would just be so. Um, I've I've toyed around with that for a while, and I've never seen anybody use it so i'm fascinated by it and i'd love to see it in action um yeah solid i i i'd be more tempted to go to nine units and put the scutar toy into eights i i, I just i find them vulnerable in sixes i don't know they just you see if i saw those on the table i'd charge short spear cavalry into the superior melee expert i really would I, in fact i have done it with my early russians to their glorious success, but um, shockingly. Um, <laughs> but eights just make me much more happier, but it, 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 each to their own, really. Um, I like the cavalry. The, I think the second one dropped to average is, is sensible for points. You've got the superior to give you the um, shame that melee expert can't get in there, but um, yeah, no, no. It's not one that I... Yeah. Sorry, go on, Cameron. No, I was going to just ask Philip to jump in. Uh, obviously very different from the one you use, Philip. Yeah, yes, I I think I'd be worried that I wouldn't be able to command this army. I'm not sure I'd be advancing. I'd be kind of stalled, waiting for the clash of arms as uh, my opponent came towards me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't play to my kind of my my style. I think that's the problem. Though, admittedly, I'm, I'm looking at a command of um, Byzantines, the next period onwards, which you do have to have Scutori Tatai in it. So if I do go that far, I'm going to have to learn how to use some infantry. <laughs> <laughs> the horror. Yeah, but, I, yeah I think... trying this army, I think I'd completely fluff it because I wouldn't, just wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. I think I'd concur with you on the command on this one. And I, I, I think I think that command structure, three competence and a mediocre, probably works better, is okay for a nine tug army. I think the 11's pushing it. Mm. Um, so, you know, take Matt's idea of combining, but putting the scutatoys in eights, maybe drop the horse archers, which could get you points for Mali Expert. I think I'd like that Tagmati unit to have Mali Expert. And the Normans mm, as well. Not sure you can get both, but yeah, I think it is what it is. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a variant. And I, I think it fits the Manzikert theme. Yeah. 
I was, I was really trying hard to make Andronicus Ducas, who's the guy who basically betrayed the Emperor and ran off some kind of internal ally who was mediocre professional, just so he'd turn up to be... Um... <laughs> yeah, but with... The, yes, but I think with the troops you have to then have, it would utterly break the, the list. It, yes. You did. Okay, Jamie, thank you very much for doing that extra list. Um, I think it's just nice to have a a contrast with, with Philip's really quite extreme in a way version um, but um, oh, but one that definitely got a thumbs up okie dokie so th- moving rapidly on to enemies of the byzantines matt could i persuade you well it's an early hungarian of course you can persuade me <laughs> no, no chance of me not waffling courageously on this one. Right, uh, early Hungarian. Um, not a well-known enemy of the Byzantines, I have to admit. It wasn't one that I'd really um, thought about. I, I tend to... Um, it, it passed me by in the histories. Um, okay, so it's um, early Hungarian out of the steppes in Eastern European book. Um, it has a massive terrain choice of planes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, provisional date for this was 1010 so it's stefan the great or saint stefan if you prefer or that sod that beat me up if you're his younger brother but anyway <laughs> um anyhow right so uh talented uh, talented instinctive cnc uh and three competent instinctive subgenerals. uh that gives you a pbs seven and the scout uh, and the, the scouting comes out at six um uh, much to say on that right so the list has not, not, not oddities, but it's split into, it has two lots of superior cavalry. One is the Hungarian nobles, which are formed loose, superior, protected, charging lancer, melee expert, block of six. And then you have the gentry, which are ish the same, but, but instead of melee expert, they get unskilled bow, shoot, and charge. So they're also formed loose, superior, protected, charging lancer, block of six. And then you have something called loosely defined as Saxon knights. Uh, cavalry formed loose, average protected, short spear, devastating charger, melee expert, block of six of those. Um, and then you have the, the standard Hungarian horse archer, which is cavalry formed flexible, average, unprotected, experienced bow, short spear. I have three blocks of those, and one of them has feigned flight, which I've what? never used, and I had the points. So I thought, sod it, I'll put it in the army. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I can I can say I don't think I've ever faced an army that had feigned flight. Yeah, I know. I I, I just as I was thinking about Nikephorians, that, that that was the reason it was put in. But anyway, and there's one more block of horse archers which are you know, cavalry formed flexible, but these are poor, unprotected, unskilled bow, uh, short spear, block of four. They're just to make the points up and give me nine tugs basically, and I think they might have just tipped me over on the scouting. Um, and then we've got um, two Sakehi borderers, which are cavalry formed, flexible, average, protected, experienced bow, short spear, two blocks of six. So basically, it's a shooty army with a core of three combat troops. Um, I also, sorry, I forgot there's two sugs. How did I forget these? Of scouts, which are cavalry skirmisher, average, unprotected, skilled bow, combat shy, two blocks of six. So yeah, how did you, you forget those? Yeah, yeah. So I have, they were out scouting. I'd forgotten they were there. They're so quiet. Come on, go. <laughs> anyway, so that gives you four green dice where you need them. Um, but all bar the uh, combat troops, 
the entire army is flexible. Um, so I'm basically hoping to defend in a plane with nothing, and then I'm going to run around you and shoot you a lot. That's the basic combat plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Subtle, I know. Uh, the famed flight one was actually going to go... Only problem with Nikophorians is unless they've got the Normans, which are slightly harder to control, is basically take them up in skirmish formation with the feigned flight and sit in front of the cavalry and hope they go loopy. Problem is, they're all shooting charge from the Byzantine side, so they're probably not going to get to do it very often. They're going to die pretty quick. But, you know, I, I actually hope that you shoot and charge, catch me, break me, and pursue. Because being charging lancers, you can't stop them. So, you know, you, you'd be forward and then you're forcing to move your infantry up. That was the general thought of the idea. But it's my usual cavalry army, basically. You know, you can put a yeah, different name if, up. If, if you were going to do that, why didn't you give the feigned flight to the poor unit? I was just thinking that myself. <laughs> well, I, I kind of like to hope they might get away <laughs> to do it again. But yeah, yeah you are oh, right. Oh, that's not the map we know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yes, you could do that and save a few points. But yeah. um, so, how how would our Byzantine armies, Jamie and Philip, think about facing that? I think I've learned my lessons against the Mongols um, because what I ended up being against nine tugs, and they outnumbered me on the the board edge. You know, out there, so you could get round behind me. When I think I'd do is my superiors Tagmata were probably going to a single line oh, yeah. of six to try and make the width bigger keep the Normans nice and snug in two rows and I just try and stretch out so he can't outflank me and then just go charging Lancer straight forwards <laughs> on that open back planes yeah um, see if your shooting can slow me down and kill enough of me those scouts would be a worry yeah. I, I, to be honest if if I clocked Philip's army before we played I'd be putting rough terrain down oh, you would. because cause, cause, cause mm. I can fight in rough being flexible I can sit there and shoot you all day long So, but, but you being a legendary general you're probably going to control it so you know swings and roundabouts but yeah it made for a game mm. Jamie uh, with the uh, the uh, Nicophorians? Um yeah, with the the more vanilla Nicophorians. Um I'd probably be trying to put down more terrain just to close down the width a bit. I think I'd be trying to lead with my shooty infantry. Um just to form well, I suppose all of those scooter toy are just going to be forming a, a dead zone that you don't really want to be going into with the um, cavalry. Um or not the cavalry you have there, and then sort of trying to, I don't know, maybe use my cataractoid to lead the cavalry in one condensed area. But it, again, it's the problem of charging charging lances going loopy, and then suddenly you've they're all over the place, and so are the enemy horse archers, and it's all gone horribly wrong. But um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the usual thing. At least my camp won't be sacked, but that wasn't done. <laughs> It's the camp safe. Yeah. Richard, your thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah. Um, it's, as I say, I think, I think 
I agree with Jane. I'd, I'd lead with the infantry, um, try and narrow it down. Um, yeah, don't don't really want to be on a open plain, really. Um, facing something like that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what else that, to say, really. Yeah. No, I think it, it is what it is. It's a, you know, as Matt said, you run around, you shoot a lot, you hope. Um, my I'd take it on. I take it on with my soldiers. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah. No. I think, I think it's an okay army. It's it's got the, those two units of scouts are very useful. Because they, they can give you green dice shooting, or at least white s, counting as a wound. Um, if you're shooting at superiors, um, it suffers one thing that I find all horse archer armies that are mainly experienced bow do is you can just you you are susceptible to those games where your shooting just doesn't do enough. So, you know, so Philip's idea of space out the you know line out the superior tagmata and push forward to push you off the table you know it could go horribly wrong i have to say you know all those white dice could cause big holes in the in the, the tagmata but yeah it's yeah and i have to say, i think it, fighting your army jamie with this one it's I definitely it's at that point. When do I have a punt with the nobles, gentry, and Saxon knights at the Scutartoy? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same. Yeah, so I don't know, but maybe if I was using the Nicophorians, you'd you you've got the you've got your Varangians and Rus and maybe cavalry interle interlevered with your Scutartoy or, or gaps for them to come through rather than just one big long line of scutatoi, just so that if those charging cavalry decide to have a punt, you can possibly get something that's more fighty in their way. Yeah, obviously that, that calls for a bit of advanced knowledge on the army. Okie dokie. I will... My turn now. <laughs> My turn. Um, this is, I brought a Bedouin dynasty's army, uh, the Hamdanids, um, that Richard mentioned in his um, intro of the historical bit. The Hamdanids based in Aleppo, um, which certainly prior to the period of the Nikephorians um, were a right pain in the backside for the Byzantines. But as Richard outlined, they, uh, under Nikephorus, they got, they got beaten, basically. Um, as the as the Byzantine armies improved, so anyway, this is a, this is an army I have used, um, and I've used I've used in previous rules as well. But uh, anyway, the the army structure is um, a competent professional army commander, two competent instinctive and a talented instinctive subgenerals. Um, gone for the competent professional army commander because that gives bonuses in the PBS. In the and the scouting um, over a an instinctive one, although you're not getting the benefits of dice allocation or anything. I've normally dated the army at 964 for what it's worth. Um, poor unfortified camp. PBS came out at eight and scouting of four. So, which is possibly a shade disappointing for these sort of armies, but there's reasons for that. 
Anyway, there's 11 tugs. Four of them are Bedouin cavalry who are form flexible, average unprotected long spear. I really like these troops, but other people I know do have trouble with them. Times finding a use for them. I've got two sixes and two fours in that. I've got a unit of Gilman, Mamluks if you like, cavalry drilled loose, superior protected, experienced bow short spear, unit of six. A second unit of Gilman, but these have been regraded. These are cavalry formed close, superior armoured horse, fully armoured melee expert, uh, which is based off a historical reference. Um, that, that they've been regraded from the bow type. You can have, you could have, you could have two units of the bow ones if you wanted. These, these sort of like well, cataphract ones are just one point of base more expensive than the the your standard Mamluk types. I've got two tugs of armoured cavalry, formed loose, average protected long spear. Again, one of my favourite troop types. Um, two units of Daylami mercenaries, infantry drilled flexible, average protected, devastating charger melee expert, both eights. And an eight of Gazis, who are tribal loose, average unprotected, devastating charger, fleet of foot. So again, eight. Two six base units of sub, uh, sub units of skirmishing archers, infantry skirmishers, Average unprotected, experienced bow. Um, this is more or less quite similar to the army I used at Toil last year, but I didn't have the cataphract Gilman. Uh, two units of the um, just the traditional experienced bow types. Um, it's a bit of a bits and pieces army. De definitely, you know, it's, it's the Bedouin cavalry. Whilst they can skirmish and scoot around a lot, they can't shoot like horse archers can so you know they can, they can be very useful for holding people up but they don't have that projecting fire um your your fighting troops are going to be the, the gilman the armored cavalry and the dale army the dale army obviously are great in terrain and looking at the you know the the fighting byzantines thing they they can be really good at fighting the scutatoi um they, they can cause the scutatoi real problems um, the two units of our skirmishing archers are quite useful sniping along. I, I, when I used them last year, I tended to attach one to each of the Gilman units who tugged them along, which meant I had you know, plenty of cards for doing other stuff. Um, and just added another couple of files of shooting into that as well. Um, oddly for what is more or less a cavalry army, because you've got the Dale army, it can benefit from terrain. Um, you know, those Dale Army are really good in terrain. There's not that many troops that are as good, um, although you can end up fighting other Dale Army. The Ghazis, although tribal loose, I found very useful um, in support of other troops like the Dale Army. Um, the fleet of foot obviously means they move faster and you, because of that could threaten to get on flanks. Um, and if they don't really have a role in the in the game, they're only 368 points for an eight base unit. So using them as filler is no bad thing. Um, or just something expendable to throw in with the dev charging. Hope they do something. If they don't, oh well. <laughs> you know, maybe back to Matt's idea of something sacrificial, something pursues, you slam into the flank of the pursuing unit. So it's, I think it's an army it's probably more comfortable against Jamie's Nikephorian than it would be against Phillips. I think Phillips is just so tough it can it could potentially bully this one. 
I'd definitely be looking for terrain to fight to fight Philip's army um, so that when I had to fight those tough units it's in narrower areas and hopefully you know maybe I can work things onto the flanks anyway that's that one so thoughts please gentlemen I think that's a very Nick army and would be a dangerous opponent <laughs> to a lot of my armies basically I second that <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Maybe I'll take it to toil again. <laughs> Although Philip's face... talked about taking his his Nicophorians, and I'm not yeah. sure I want to face them with this. <laughs> I have been caught out with those Bedouin cavalry doing an out, outflank because they can come on flexible and come on quite quickly on a red. It, it, is it wasn't a... me. It wasn't me, honest. And that is a reason for having the talented sub-general in this army. I could send all four of those units on a flank march and come on one red card, depend if the terrain suits. Uh, you could see that I'm going to be down one flank and you could come on the bind me and that had caused so much pain. Yeah. Having and, said that, I did do it to Philip at the Visors last year against his Sarmatians with my Sassanids. You did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they came on behind us and I just didn't know what to do about them. I tried to run away. Uh, not too successfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and th there's one thing about those those Bedouin cavalry that I think can be useful because they've got long spear. If they're fighting something that is, say, protected melee expert in the ongoing melee, you're actually on even factors as long as the Bedouin can be at least too deep because the mounted, the long spear cancels out the mounted melee expert, and that sometimes catches people out. Yeah, long spear a good value, I think. Yeah, so again, makes those armoured cavalry in there really. They are. I think we've discussed at previous podcasts there. They're good all-rounders, you know, not necessarily spectacular, but they they can really hang around and cause problems. Yeah, I really like those Bedouin cavalry. Actually, the Bedouin cavalry, the armoured cavalry, and the Dale army just, I really kind of wish I had them in a Nick, well, my own army or Nicophorian army. Just yeah. kind of... well, you, you don't actually have to take any Gilman in this army, so you could... yeah. <laughs> although I think you need some another couple of fighter units because I think that you can only have the twelve armored cavalry in the list. Just just the long spear cavalry are really good. They're not the sort of charging lancer where they go loopy and then pick a fight. They can't win. It's just uh... yeah, they're, they're nice controllable troops for you know for those of us who are a bit more want to have control over them a, a little less free and easy. They're, they're really good in my view. Yeah. Not quite enough bows to be a Nick army, I'd have thought, but or proper Nick army. But... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Philip. Would you? How how would you like to fight that with your Nickaforian? Considering I'm a bit nervous about it. <laughs> I would have a go. I would definitely. <laughs> I would expect nothing less of you, sir. <laughs> no, no holding back. I'll try and get in there. Uh, I think I will str struggle. I will, because you're six tugs versus my four. I think I might get a few good casualties and then I'll just be outnumbered and slowly disappear. I, I would expect that even if I was to win, I would expect to lose four units at least, um, but hope to get on your flanks. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it. In the Bedouin cavalry, I just don't I think I can actually hold them up getting around there, especially if you 
I'm just going to be so thin on the line um, because of the size of my army. You're, you're going to get around me somewhere. And if I don't try and hold up the Bedouin cavalry, then the Dalami mercenaries are going to come up and um, wedge in there. And I'm not sure I could actually win a battle against eight strong Dalami. Uh, oh, you, 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 you're talking me into taking it to toil. Anyway, <laughs> in the interest of moving on, because we've, we've one more list to go, which is, in my view, an important one. Um, Richard. Okay. I have sort of preview, told people what it is, but you can tell us the details. Yes. Yeah, so this is the Great Soldier Empire, uh, 1071. Um, so uh, four competent generals, a professional army commander, two professional competent subs, and a competent instinctive ally, Turkoman, internal ally. Um, it has uh, no camp, which gives you a clue that it doesn't have any infantry. Um, it is nine tugs, um, and that's it. Uh, we've got the Sultan's Guard, who are drilled loose, exceptional, protected, downgraded to unskilled bow, short spear. Um, that's driven out of the points necessity of getting within the points limit but if i was going to not worry about shooting with any of the units i think it's going to be the sultan's guard uh two units of six mamluks drilled loose superior protected experience bow short spear um same as uh, nick skillman in his uh, uh bedouin army uh then Four units of Turkmen tribesmen, one experience, three skilled, all sixes, form flexible, average unprotected cavalry, and then uh, two allied Turkmen tribesmen units, one experience, one skilled bow, average unprotected, formed flexible cavalry. Um, so just as I say, nine units in total, and the Sultan's personal guard must be in the army commander's command. Uh, but the army commander can still float as long as the um, Sultan's guards are the only units that he directly commands and that he remains with that unit. Interesting. Uh -huh. Yeah, which I think is what Jamie was alluding to with his second Nikephorium with the Varangian guard, wasn't it? Had to be in the army commanders. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been this is sort of a new thing introduced into a few lists this year, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, because it's a goodie, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump in for once at the beginning and say, well, you know, how am I going to criticise this army? <laughs> you know, it's Turkish with lots of horse archers. You've got one, two, three, four sixes with skilled bow. Um, you know, I can, I can see why you downgrade the Sultan's Guard to unskilled. I suppose if you wanted to keep them as experienced, you'd probably have to lose the no camp. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Spot on. Which I might consider doing, but in some ways, making the Sultan's Guard unskilled focuses it. That's your that's a unit to punch at the right point. Yeah, I have, I have no criticism of this list at all. I would happily field it, and will probably steal the list. <laughs> 
if I had the models, I would be interested, but <laughs> I got none of this Celtic army in my collection. So, but yeah, I think I'd again struggle with all that shooting. It's just too much skill, though, for me to survive long enough. I would yeah, make camp to kill. Yeah. Though, well, if I was the attacker, invader you'd end up having a camp so there is a bonus there but that's a good, it's a good point you've got the legendary general so yes you have you probably have a good chance of being able to shoot yeah, yeah. red to green be... yes you've got you've got a reasonable chance with that um, i guess it going the same as i did against mongols i'd get to the final unit to break your tug of five and I would fail because you get mine first. So <laughs> I'd get eight points. <laughs> think, think, think positive. It'll it'll work <laughs> next time. Yes. But I don't know. Yeah, so. Yes, if I'm forced to defend, I think the Sovereign's Guard is going to be the unit you've got to get through to get to the camp. Mm -hmm. mm. Unfortunately, I suspect he might have the tools to do that. Oh, I don't know. Exceptional. Exceptional. Mm. Because the best I'm superior charging yeah. lancer. Yeah. Mm, maybe with the the Normans, the the superior Normans, perhaps. Just and just hope to get a shatter early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jamie. Uh, uh, speaking as a potential opponent, I'm fairly terrified by that by the amount of skilled shooters. Um, I uh, yeah. I, uh, it's also what I'd, I think I'd be trying to defend where I could try and put down sort of either in mountains and put down rough or maybe coastal and put down things like vine um, vineyards where maybe at least I can sort of shoot out and you can't really go in without being slightly discomforted, but then you're flexible actually, so that's not, I don't know, um, probably do what they did in history, which is just chase you all day and then try and manoeuvre at the end and it all goes horribly wrong and they form them like ravenous wolves. Is it, is it me or are Byzantine commanders not being too optimistic about this one? They're certainly they're certainly challenging channeling their historical um, counterparts, I feel, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It's not gonna end well, boss. There's a shadow of Manzikert looms long. Can we just skip to the diplomacy side and we'll just um, Yeah. <laughs> Hand over massive wadges of cash and ask you to leave nicely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt. Yes. It's, yeah. It is as as as, as you it, it is what it is. Um, in general, I wouldn't want to fight it. I mean, I'm looking at it. Actually, I don't think the early Hungarians. It'd be an interesting game of chess, I think, because I've got three combat units. And the Sakai, who are all reasonably happy with what's in that army. The problem, all the horse archers would probably have to flex into um, scouting from my side. But the Sakai probably wouldn't. And then I give Richard a bit of a quandary in that, you know, he can't afford to get me too close because my protected Sakai shooting uh, unprotected skilled is green green. To be honest, I'm looking at this going, my biggest chance is to try and get my 
heavy stuff into his heavy stuff and then worry about the shooting afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It'd be an interesting game, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those that could have vast amount of casualties very quickly. Yeah. The skilled and say, if you can get your experience up, some of them up close and personal, be a lot of green dice rolling. And I, I, I have long memories of a game against Richard, <laughs> which uh, where we did that, <laughs> it was utterly brutal. I think that was a game where I rolled good shooting dice. Richard rolled even better. But we were just <laughs> taking handfuls of horse archers off every move. <laughs> well, I think every move. Each other, yes. I think it was, it was more like both of the moves we shot at each other, <laughs> and then my army broke. <laughs> so it, it can go that way. Okay, okay, guys. I'm, uh, thank you for those lists. I'm just aware we've because we've done six lists, and and Richard's. Um, history we've, we've covered quite a bit of ground so we'll not go do too much more but um one thing i did want to do was just um because we had the ice and fire competition recently is uh, something this is something matt suggested which i think could be good for our listeners which is which is i've sort of titled rules what i learned um or, or relearned perhaps and just if anybody's got anything um, that cropped up rules wise just briefly for for the listeners just to pass on information um and as matt suggested it i'll throw it over to him first up um th- th- there was one i noticed in the rules um that, that cropped up not in our game but in our own um when you shoot at an enemy file if the nearest base is not an eligible target you cannot shoot at any base in that file it actually says right yeah yeah which i have always played wrong i've I've eliminated what i classed as ineligible targets and gone to the nearest eligible target but it's not the entire file is taken out of the uh the the shooting rack so even if you have four deep if the front one's in combat you can't shoot at that file so that was yeah the, the significant thing is if you're on the flank of a unit um but not uh behind it the nearest file and the nearest file of that unit is in combat then you won't be able to shoot at that unit in combat um and people do get that wrong sometimes yeah but that that that's the main driver behind it if you if you want to shoot at units in combat you're going to get have to get behind them so yes, that the nearest base is not uh, not the front base which is fighting but it also counts if the base behind that is contributing that is also not an Indeed, eligible. that one would be eligible but the ones behind that would be yeah yeah unless the pike of course and then that's a different story yeah. <laughs> okay so I'll, I'll 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 throw in the one that cropped up in our game which is about if you declare a charge and the target moves um and what when when you can then change your direction of your charge um, to follow things that have moved and one thing i i I noticed which i suspect i've played wrong is that um the rules say may alter the direction of charge if by doing so they can catch or attempting to catch any ug that has moved position due to a runaway skirmish intercept or counter charge 
what it means is you can't change direction to follow a unit that has charged which i think i have played before which it's all about that who who gets to move which units the order you move your charges because i've said i'm sure i have played it and obviously played it wrong where if a unit that charge has moved my charge can't follow that particular unit and richard is now looking <laughs> very puzzled very um, puzzled at that one <laughs> yes interesting uh <laughs> the rule is as it's written, so um, absolutely. I, I'm absolutely. not sure I could tell you why we specifically wrote it that way when we did, but yeah. so and I don't yeah. believe that word changed. So yeah, but but, 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 but what, how it came up in our game was Nick could quite easily have declared the charge with a wheel, so it was heading in the direction that my unit was about to charge out of. So he could still have been, still have had an eligible charge, but being the sod that I am, I went and put a unit, a light horse, directly in front of Nick's unit to stop him wheeling. So it meant that he could only get a very small wheel in, not enough to allow once I charged to still be in charge line. So in the end, Nick actually decided to chase my light horse, did basically a, a 90 degree turn, and then ended up causing more havoc than it was worth. So I shouldn't have bothered. But there we well, go. I don't know. It, it, it... If if you hadn't have done that, I would I could have declared the wheel enough to hit your unit yes. in the rear. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 you could you have done exactly that. So you, you saved that unit, so in the short term. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, I don't know if anybody else came up with anything. Richard, did anything crop up in any of your games that would be worth passing on? One I'll mention. It's it's something that people often forget. It's not one that uh, I think is a terrible surprise, but is that you can make uh, MF1 and MF2 combat moves after combat. Um, and people regularly forget that you can do that. Yes. Um, so um, I, I did it a couple of times at Ice and Fire, and in both occasions, my opponent looked surprised that I could do it. Um, so that that's my contribution anyway. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I think people do forget that. Philip? Yeah, kind of the, both the ones that you've mentioned. I've always struggled to try and get an MF1 MF2 off. I don't know if I just get my positioning wrong to actually then be able to move round. It's... I, I find it's useful if you save a card back for recovery of wounds and then you don't have a wound to recover, but there's a gap because of the combat that's the time when it's particularly useful because Absolutely. it means you can spend the card then and then hope to draw another card in the subsequent turn uh -huh. but at uh, the one that you had nick i actually had that in my game where i i think I, in the order that we kind of were charging my opponent saw a point where he was going to be able to charge me um but I then decided, oh, I can do a charge now because of the order. I'll yeah. put my charge down. And I was going first. So in, as he had kind of said, I'm going to go in a certain direction. And I was going to go straight past him my <laughs> charge. And I whizzed past and hit another unit. And he's kind of going, well, can't I turn to charge after you? And I'm going, well, no, you've already nominated your charging 
to the left, not to the right. So you can't now change your charge to then follow me. Not not to change them. If, if your unit had done, say, a run away, that would have been different. He could have changed his direction. But because yours was, was doing a charge, he can't. And I did a cheeky charge after after he nominated his. Well done, sir. <laughs> I'm learning, so that's one up for me. Yes, yeah, so obviously you, you knew something I didn't. <laughs> so. Well, I don't know if I really understood, but I thought, well, I can get past, but let's go for it. And then we worked out afterwards, you can't actually go after me. Yeah, sound, well, sounds like. Jamie, anything in any of your games that would worth passing on to uh, the listeners? Um, um, I'm not sure anything rules wise. Yeah, no, um, constraining charges with um, skirmishes is always, or constraining people's wheels with skirmishes is always one that's sort of maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. And you and Matt were talking about is always a. Yeah. Always, and um, the point, therefore, anybody who doesn't know, when you declare a charge, um, it can include a wheel of up to 90 degrees, but any enemy unit will block how far you can charge even if they're a, a sug you, there's no pushing sugs out of the way or causing them you know to to allow you to wheel further than you can declare so, so that's with wheeling 90 degrees i think i caught someone else i think it was rob and his indians caught him out on that one because i was kind of um parallel with him or whatever it is he's adjunct to him and I said, I'm going to do a wheel and a charge. And he goes, well, you, you can't because you're going, turning right round. I said, well, I'm still only doing a 90 degree turn. And by the time I've gone round that 90 degrees, I'm still within reach to reach you. Yeah. And he was just, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, we're all saying it's a 90 degree to, you can do a wheel as part of your charge up to yeah. 90 degrees. Yes. Don't and think the- everyone always sees that. Yeah, no, it's, it's usually cavalry that can exploit it best for obvious reasons. And the wheel has to be at the start of the charge move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but bear in mind, it can also be combined with a half base with shift to get past friends. Um, yes. So yes. that is the one occasion where if you if you get really right with the alignment or or just incredibly lucky, you can actually wheel 90 shift halfway half the base width and actually hit something that was actually slightly behind you. I think that's <laughs> the situation I was in, actually. I think that's what confused him. As I said, I'm, yeah. I'm going to wheel round and because I've got half a base, I'm going to shift over and still hit you. And he's okay. going, that can't happen, can it? <laughs> yeah, that, that I got caught out with that once. That's, an, that's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably never get hit off again, ever, but... And on that devious note, I think we're probably at the point where we need to wrap up this. We've, we've been going a couple of hours, which is, this is one of the longer ones. I will just say for the listeners, um, the lists we've discussed are going up on the blog. Um, I've also pulled together some figure suggestions for Byzantines for the period. Um, which, you know, because of the amount of time we've taken, not going to cover in the actual this actual talky bit of the podcast, and also some um, sources on the Byzantines for the period, um, book, you know, some introductory books like the Osprey 
is and a couple of more in-depth stuff. There's uh, there's two or three Byzantine military manuals for the period, for instance. Um, but except that's up on the blog. Have a look there um, and get that information. Um, I think the only other thing I'll say at the moment is um, we're nearly at the end of January. Um, February, there are two competitions that I'm aware of. Beachhead in a couple of weeks' time and Badcon towards the end of February. Both still have places available. Um, Beachhead is in Bournemouth, Badcon is in Burton-on-Trent. Um, and I don't know if anybody else has got anything they think we ought to tell the listeners about at this stage before we sign off. I think that silence suggests no. Anyway, I'd just like to thank, obviously, the whole team. Thank you, Jamie and Philip, for joining us on this one. Uh, maybe we'll have you back sometime. And sounds like probably see you both fairly soon at competitions, maybe with Byzantines. Definitely Philip, by the sound of it, for toil later in the year. Give it um, away, yep. Otherwise, say, say thank you for listening. And uh, we'll hopefully be back again soon. Thank mm -hmm. you, guys. Thank you.